talked to in a few people. So just keep your hand up. Might be helpful for you if you want to take notes um, or take something home that we talked about. Might be helpful to you. And Joe, they, they should be right there. Are they all gone? Okay, sorry. All right, so it won't be helpful to you this week. Um, welcome. My name is, what's that? Yes, glad that you're here. Welcome. Um, let me just pray for us and then we'll, we'll begin. Lord, thank you so much for uh, a few moments to not, not just be together, but to be together with you. And as especially this year, as we try to focus in on the lessons of leadership that you gave, especially to your disciples, we want to be disciples underneath you. We are, many of us are, and we want to follow after you, whatever that means in the 21st century. And as uh, Paul said in Romans 8, we want to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And so my prayer is that by looking at you this year, uh, especially in our leadership style, we would, we would display that image in our lives, in, to our family, to a business, to a church, to a community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so there's a few detail here, detail pieces here. First of all, I just want to talk about this uh, opening statement. Uh, the purpose of leadership uh, is to, to act like men. And that's a little quotation that comes from 1 Corinthians. Paul's ending his letter, and he's got these sort of wrap-up sort of comments that he wants to make. And uh, he uses this phrase, act like men. So the, the verse says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So you get the feeling it's the huddle right before we break and we're going to go out and run a play, you know? So here's the last few things I want you to know is I want you to be watchful, stand firm, be strong, act like men. And all of these terms in the Greek are military terms. So everybody here, everybody reading this passage from, from Corinth would understand, hey, he's talking about the military. They, they would understand that. And just him saying, hey, here's some things I'm asking you to do, and they're all military, then just that helps you in your mind know he thinks we're going to go run a play that looks like war. <laughs> it's not just a game, it's a war. And these are things that you're going to have to be prepared to do. And the first thing is you're going to have to be watchful. So just like a, a sentinel would be on guard and warning everyone else, including himself, to say, hey, the enemy is coming over the hill. We've got an incoming problem. You have to do that. You have to say, hey, I see something coming towards me, and I need to take immediate action. I might need to pull out a gun. I might need to go get help. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of things you got to do, but you have to be watchful over your own soul. And we can help in some, some way, 
but we can't really watch over your soul. We can just encourage and come alongside, but you have to get up in the morning. You have to, you have to pray. You have to do these disciplines, and we can be encouraging, but we, you have to be a sentinel for your own soul. You have to stand firm. So we would know that you're, you're in it. You've got to take a position because there's going to be opposition against you. There's going to be pushback against you. And it might be for the gospel itself. And it might be a position that the Bible takes. And you say, well, I'm taking this position because this is how the Bible talks about. And you, you, take, you can say. And there's going to be pushback against that. The culture's going to say, oh, no, that's not, that's old-fashioned. That's old school. That's not right. That's according to this and not according. I mean, there's going to be, that's going to happen. You guys feel that all the time. The culture's constantly coming at you. I mean, it's a billboard, a magazine rack, a, a television show, some, some ad on your phone. It, it's just like a wave. And you've got to be, you've probably seen that picture of a lighthouse. I wish I would have thought about this. That's sort of out in the ocean, and there's a big wave that kind of crashes around it. And that, that wave on your soul, I know you feel it happens all the time, day after. It doesn't happen one time a day, like, oh, one big wave's going to hit me. It's like just wave after wave, and you have to stand firm. You have to be watchful. You have to stand firm. You have to be strong. You have to be strong. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, when you say be strong, something like Rambo comes to mind. First of all, I can't believe Rambo's still a movie. Like, you, you notice this? A new Rambo's coming out? Ran, the first Rambo came out, I think, when I was in college. And that was not five years ago. And so he's still doing Rambo. I mean, this is amazing. He's cashing in on this one character. And look, I like Rambo. I think they're kind of cool movies. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not down on Rambo. But that's just, that's the way we think about it. Yeah, big macho, kind of in your face, take you down. That, that's not the picture Paul has. The picture Paul has is Jesus laying his life down. So when he says be strong, you got to be willing to lay your life down. That's the strength he's talking about. And a lot of people don't want to lay their lives down. They, they'd, rather not, that they'd rather not sacrifice for a relationship. I'd rather not sacrifice for just things I like. I'd rather not lay down my life. And so being strong is, 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 is this way. Finally, you have to act like men. And I think there's sort of a general and a specific thing Paul has in mind. I think generally he's talking to everybody in Corinth, men and women. And he uses this phrase to say, it's time to grow up, guys. It's just time to grow up. It's time to be mature people, male or female. <clears throat> I love the Dave Ramsey quote, if you know him, the financial guy. He says, adults devise a plan and follow it. Children do what feels good. Adults devise a plan and follow it. Children do what feels good. And in Corinth, they were acting like children. Hey, this is just what feels good. And he's like, you know what? If you want to grow up and it's time to grow up, you've got to devise a plan and you've got to follow it. 
That's what it means to act like a mature adult. I, I see something out in my future. I'm devising a plan. I'm following that. I'm not just waking up and saying, what feels good today? That's immaturity. But I think he's also specifically got his mind on the men in the culture at Corinth. And in case you don't know, Corinth was wrapped around fame, sex, power, and money. Does that sound like a familiar culture? Yeah. And the men in that culture had got trapped on the surface of those things. So they could never really develop roots because they're all chasing money, all chasing fame, all chasing sex, all chasing something sports-related. That, that was the culture. And they got trapped on the culture, and they could have come to church and said, well, I'm a churchgoer, but Paul's like, but you're not mature. You're so caught on the cultural surface that I need you to act like a man which means you got to grow some deep roots so that you can stand firm, you can be strong. So when we do iron leadership, that's our goal. That's the leaders of this are trying to say, this is what we want men to be like here at Christ Community Church and also in Wilmington. So that's when we talk about iron leadership, that's what we're talking about. There's a, uh, a, something, a, a basic program for us. Uh, first of all, if you want the emails, there's a sign-up sheet uh, back there on the left just as, as you leave. So you sign up, you get an email every week, and on the email it has the content of the past week, and on the email, how many of you got an email already? You've probably gotten one, several of you. So it has all the dates listed already, so you can just put that in your calendar. It's essentially every other week, but just go ahead and stick that in your calendar. If you never need any content or you want to drive somebody towards the content of Iron Leadership, you can just go to the website. Um, and what we do here officially starts at 630 Try to talk for about a half an hour. Try to give you a chance to be in a small group for 20 minutes, and then we have breakfast so that you could leave at 7.45 and get somewhere at 8. That's kind of our goal. Uh, but we have what's called the daily office from 6 to 6.30, and maybe 15 guys come to that, and we're uh, open, opening it up to you. We want you to come. And it's really just a time for you to be quiet with the Lord. It's not a teaching time. It's a time to go through a a little 30-minute program to just be alone with the Lord. So that's our time, uh, and those are the details. I wanted to uh, ask somebody to talk, just talk about how Iron Leadership has helped them personally as a business person, as a person, and how they use it in some way that might help you think through how you might use it, and I've asked Spence Hackney to be that person. Spence. Good. All right, thank you, Spence. Um, Hey, Ty, can you just write down conflict material? And I'll, the stuff that a lot of you all have, I'll send it in the Iron Leadership because it's really helpful. Um, thank you for that, Spence. Just, it was really help. That little piece was really helpful just to think, how many times have I thought of people as machines? Probably more than I would want to say, you know? I mean... Certainly not on a Sunday morning, I wouldn't think that. Like, if all these people would just do what I say, it would be a lot easier to be the pastor, but occasionally that comes out. So the lessons in leadership, we're really trying to just see Jesus, make an application, 
to our lives and then go live in a different way, a, a way conformed to his image. And I want to start by just w- looking at what I'm calling the most important gauge and then give you some time to talk about it. And I want to, I want to start by thinking about it um, by telling you a story, and then I'll show you this a little video that says the story in a video form. It's a true story. On December the 28th, 1978, United Flight 173 took off from Denver, headed to Portland. Very clear evening, no, no weather-related problems. They arrived on time. Uh, they were preparing for their landing. They pushed the, uh, the landing gear down, and they, a little problem popped up. They noticed that the landing gear had dropped out of the wheel wells, and there's little light indicators on the dash to say they've dropped out and they're locked in place, and one of those light indicators didn't come on. And so they could be sure that the, the wheel had dropped out, but they just weren't sure if it was just hanging there or it was actually locked in place. And so as they're coming into the airport, they say to the tower, hey, we're going to get into a holding pattern, and we're going to see if we can figure out this problem. Is it an electrical problem? Is it a really problem with the wheel? What, what kind of problem is it? Now, when they took off from the airport from Denver headed to Portland, they had 46,000 pounds of fuel which was plenty to get them to Portland, and then they had an extra 65 minutes of fuel after they landed, just in case there's a weather-related issue or something. So they're not feeling any kind of way uh, um, compromised. So they start in this holding pattern, and of course, everybody sort of jumps to attention, and they're trying to figure out, well, is it an electrical problem? Is it a wheel problem? We're getting the flight attendants to get the people ready because we might have a hard landing. They're talking to the radio tower, and they're trying to figure all this stuff out, and they realize, hey, this is a significant problem, but it's probably not a life-threatening problem. Probably the light has gone bad. That's probably the problem, and the wheel's probably locked in, in, in down. But in the worst case scenario, the wheel's not in the locked place, and they're going to have a hard landing. They're kind of going to skid on one wing, and they're going to have to exit the plane in an emergency way. But nobody's going to die. It's just going to be a really bumpy, hard landing. So they get everybody ready for this, and they feel like they're prepared, and they come in for the landing, and another plane is already approaching the airport, and they say... United 173, hey, that's okay. We'll circle back around and just double down and making sure we're working this significant problem. So they do, and they come into their final approach, and they've been in the air for 70 minutes. The pilot, in trying to work a significant problem, took his eye off the most important gauge. And what was that? fuel. So they're coming in, all four engines shut down. They've run out of fuel, and they can't make the landing strip. Ten people die, 24 people get injured, the plane rips apart. 
United Flight 173 has been flying in a holding pattern near the Portland, Oregon airport for more than an hour. Captain Melbourne McBroom wants time to troubleshoot a possible landing gear problem. But now, something far more urgent is on the horizon. As the pilot communicates with air traffic control, the passengers start to become aware of the increasingly dire situation. We're on, we're reading lights. And some people realized that something was wrong and yelled for us to get our heads down. The plane has run out of fuel, and it's coming in fast over a wooded residential area. Captain McBroom heads toward the only unlit spot he can see below, between the houses. The plane barely clears an apartment building. I thought we were landing at the airport. I was very delighted. And then the delight turned to fear, um, because I had no idea what was going on. It just felt like it was never going to stop. As the plane tears through the trees, the front section violently rips away. It wasn't until after we'd stopped moving that I really grasped the enormity of what had just happened. The aircraft is destroyed. Ten people, all sitting in the front section that separated, die from the impact trauma. The rest of the passengers are dazed. It was so cold. Um, although when you're running on adrenaline, you don't really notice those sorts of things. But we walked off the plane, and then we were in this neighborhood. Nobody knew where we were. We just were milling about like, well, what do we do now? The four-engine plane went down five miles southeast of the airport. It missed a large apartment complex, but smashed through two vacant houses. Once on the scene, NTSB investigators quickly determine there's no fuel leak, no broken fuel gauges, no problem at all with the airplane. So why did the well run dry? So why did the well run dry? Because the captain took his eye off the most important gauge. You're the keeper you're the captain of your soul. And you have to have your eye on that gauge. And here's my concern for myself and for you is that right now, you're probably working four or five. How many significant problems are you working on right now? It's not one. <laughs> and they really are significant. I mean, you got to figure something out. You got to do something. But because there's so many of those, you can get so focused on these significant problems and you don't realize really the big problem you're having right now, you're running out of fuel. And these significant problems are going to completely go away when you run out of fuel. And if you don't keep your eye on that gauge, see, not just you goes down. Your family could go down. Your business could go down. Your church could go down. Your city could go down. So really my question as we think about this, and we'll see how Jesus makes this the most important gauge here in a minute, is just if we could put a gauge on your soul, 
like a fuel gauge, what, what would it say? Do you, do you even know how to gauge that? Most of us are familiar with the Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, what does it say? My soul, my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for the living God. So your soul has a thirst. And it can't be quenched by anything else. You can't give your soul money. You can't give your soul sex. You can't give your soul fame. You can't give your soul physical activity. You've got to give your soul the thing that it feeds on. And that's the fuel that comes from being with Jesus. And so Jesus says this, and you see it so many different times, and I'm, I'm just picking out uh, Mark, Mark's gospel, and just going to highlight some of these, and then we'll talk about it. Mark 1, 17. You remember, he's uh, just beginning his ministry. He's at, the, he's at Capernaum, which is right next to the Sea of Galilee. So if you think of the Sea of Galilee like a clock, Capernaum is up around 10 o'clock on this sea. And this is where a lot of his ministry takes place. This is where Peter's from. This is where James and John are from. They're fishermen, and he happens to be out there, and he's talking, and he says to these guys, hey, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, we are very, most of us are probably very familiar with that phrase, but let's just appreciate the call of that. Hey, guys, I want you to be involved in the eternal destinies of men and women. It's not just fishers of men. I mean, that's kind of like a little phrase. It's you're going you're gonna to play a significant role in the eternal destinies of people. So I, w- I want you to be involved with that. Now, think for a moment the significant problems you're going to encounter when you're involved in the eternal destinies of people. You're going to encounter some pretty significant problems. And how does Jesus say in his phrase, you're going you're to be able to have the fuel to stay in those problems? How does he say it? Come follow me. See, that's the first important phrase. Come follow me. See, you got to have your eyes on me, on that gauge. And if you do, Lots of great things can happen around you in your family, in your friend group, in your business group, in your ministry group. But you could go into all of those situ- situations without that fuel, and it would just be f- fruitless activity. It might even be successful activity, meaning your business is successful, but it will be eternally fruitless if you don't have your eyes on the come follow me. Mark chapter 12. Some of his disciples are asking, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second one is like it. What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. I I need you to get involved, heart, mind, soul, in your neighbor. But before you do that, what do you have to do? Heart, mind, soul on this one gauge, love God. You're not going to successfully be able to love your neighbor who might not love you back if you're not first loving God. So we see this again and again. Now, Mark chapter 1. This is one of my favorite passages, and I want to read 
uh, part of it to you. One chapter, uh, one, chapter one, verse thirty-two. And I probably use this in the course of every year for iron leadership. Jesus is doing this ministry; it's just beginning, and his popularity is growing. And it says this in verse 32, at that evening they brought to him, so they're in Capernaum, all who are sick or oppressed by the demon. How would you like this to be your congregation? Hey, everybody who's sick or oppressed by a demon, that's my congregation. And it's a whole group of people who are at this house. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out demons And he wouldn't permit them to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed. He went out to a desolate place where he prayed, where he focused on the most important gauge. Verse 36, Peter and some who were with him are out searching for him. They got a search party for Jesus because they can't find him. They found him and said, hey, everybody's looking for you. All these sick people, they went back and found their sick friends. And they're all come back to the house. Jesus says, you know, let's go to the next town so I can preach. That's why I came. Now, this is a really significant little passage for this most important gauge. Imagine your role, everyone's looking for you. And I know sometimes you felt like that. Like I just, everyone at work needs my attention. I go home and everybody at home needs my attention. I just can't find any space where everyone isn't looking for me. We've felt that before. It gets exhausting. It's the halt. I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. I can't get away from it. And Jesus feels that pressure. And what does he do to address the pressure? While it's still dark, when it's totally quiet, he's going to work on that refueling process. Now, it's interesting to me that in this passage, there are several people looking for Jesus, but only one person is mentioned. Who is it? Peter. So Peter has been sleeping You know where I'm going probably. At a critical juncture, what does he find Jesus doing? Praying. And then Jesus is able to discern what he needs to do next. Which isn't what's natural. You'd think you'd want to go back to where everybody's looking for you. But he says it's time to go to the next town. At the end of Mark, what similar pattern do we see set up with Peter? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus takes Peter with him. And what does he ask Peter to do? Pray. And what does Peter do? Falls asleep. See this pattern? Little Peter pattern is just at the critical time when I need my gaze to be at full, I fall asleep. And so when Jesus steps in, to this enemy territory, not just physical enemy Roman guards, but spiritual attack, he's ready. And what does Peter do? Pulls out a sword and tries to hack people apart. See, here's my guess. I'm just talking about myself, but I'm guessing it happens to more than me. You just oversleep. 
you are going to be put into a pressure situation. That's not an option. And because I'm not prepared, what do I do? I pull out my sword. I start hacking people to death, hack my wife, hack my kids, hack my congregation. Because I haven't addressed that most critical gauge. It's on empty, so I've got to do something else which isn't helpful for your soul or helpful for you in any way. So my question as we go through this is just, what's, what does that gauge say? We're going to ask some of these questions here, and let me just run through them, and then we'll, we'll have a group time. When you think about yourself or when you're assessing yourself, do you assess yourself based on your outer world or your inner world more often? Hey, I'm, giving, I'm going to give myself an assessment. Uh, my family, my business, my car, my what, what is. Do you mostly assess yourself from an outer or inner way? And if you put a gauge on your soul, what would be your guess? Is it empty or full? Second, how do you refuel your soul? I mean, let's just say you put the gauge on there and it looks like it's getting towards empty, you're redlining. Do you even know how to refuel your soul? It's not going to be binging Netflix. Guess what? That doesn't do it. So do you know how to refuel your soul? And third, in the video, which we didn't see about Flight 173, the co-pilot and the engineer, not strongly enough, tried to warn the pilot, hey, I think we're running out of fuel. But, but he was so powerful, he wouldn't really hear their thoughts. Men, you can be so powerful that you really don't hear somebody else's voice saying, hey, Paul, I think you're running out of fuel, buddy. I'm the pastor. I mean, come on. I mean, you see what I'm saying? That can happen. Do you have somebody who could look at you that you would listen to who could point out that maybe you're running out of fuel? So those would be the three questions. I would get into a group of three or four. I wouldn't make it more than that just because you got, don't have enough time. And if you need to spread out, that's fine. And uh, everybody, if you're new, we're trying to get everybody to say something. So that means you want to talk a little bit more in postcard rather than novel. Uh, and this isn't your chance to give a 20-minute sermon. Uh, let's just, hey, I want to go around the group, everybody, and somebody take some leadership on that. And then I'll, I'll get back involved with us in about 10 or 12 minutes. Ready? Break. Break.